Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, physicists hope to replace our current idea of a block universe with a more physical theory of time. We'll also hear from a moonshine master who's connecting algebra with string and number theory. Einstein once described his friend Michele Besso as the best sounding board in Europe for scientific ideas. They attended university together in Zurich and later were colleagues at the patent office in Bern. When Besso died in the spring of 1955, Einstein knew that his own time was also running out. He sent a now-famous letter to Besso's family. In it, he wrote, Now he has departed this strange world a little ahead of me. That signifies nothing. For us, believing physicists, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Einstein's statement was not just an attempt to console. Many physicists argue that Einstein's position is implied by the two pillars of modern physics, the general theory of relativity, Einstein's masterpiece, and the standard model of particle physics. The laws that underlie these theories are time-symmetric. The physics they describe is the same, regardless of whether the variable called time increases or decreases. They also say nothing at all about the point we call now, which appears to be a special moment for us, but is seemingly undefined when we talk about the universe at large. The resulting timeless cosmos is sometimes called a block universe, a static block of space-time in which any flow of time or passage through it must presumably be a mental construct or other illusion. Many physicists have made peace with the idea of a block universe. They argue that physicists' task is to describe how the universe appears from the point of view of individual observers. Andreas Albrecht is a physicist at UC Davis and one of the founders of the theory of cosmic inflation. He says, to understand the distinction between past, present, and future, you have to plunge into this block universe and ask, how is an observer perceiving time? Others disagree. They say physics is meant to explain not just how time appears to pass, but why. For them, the universe is not static. The passage of time is physical. Avshalom Elitsur, a physicist and philosopher, says he's sick and tired of the block universe. Next Thursday doesn't have the same footing as this Thursday, he said. The future does not exist. In June, 60 physicists and a handful of philosophers gathered at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics in Canada to debate this question at the Time in Cosmology conference. The conference was co-organized by the physicist Lee Smolin, an outspoken critic of the Bloch Universe idea. At the conference, they wrestled with several questions. The distinction between past, present, and future, why time appears to move in only one direction, and whether time is fundamental or emergent. 
Most of those issues, not surprisingly, remained unresolved. But over four days, participants listened to the latest proposals for tackling those questions. They also considered the ways we might reconcile our perception of time's passage with a static, seemingly timeless universe. There are a few things that everyone agrees on. The directionality that we observe in the macroscopic world is very real. Teacups shatter but do not spontaneously reassemble. Eggs can be scrambled but not unscrambled. Entropy, a measure of the disorder in a system, always increases, a fact encoded in the second law of thermodynamics. As 19th century Austrian physicist Ludwig Boltzmann understood, the second law explains why events are more likely to evolve in one direction rather than another. It accounts for the arrow of time. But things get trickier when we step back and ask why we happen to live in a universe where such a law is true. Sean Carroll, a physicist at Caltech, says what Boltzmann truly explained is why the entropy of the universe will be larger tomorrow than it is today. But if that was all you knew, he added, you'd also say that the entropy of the universe was probably larger yesterday than today, because all the underlying dynamics are completely symmetric with respect to time. If entropy is based on the underlying laws of the universe, and those laws are the same going forward and backward, then entropy is just as likely to increase going backward in time. But no one believes that entropy actually works that way. Scrambled eggs always come after whole eggs, never the other way around. To make sense of this, physicists have proposed that the universe began in a very special low entropy state. David Albert, a philosopher of physics, named this view the past hypothesis. The idea is entropy increases because the Big Bang happened to produce an exceptionally low entropy universe. There was nowhere to go but up. This view implies that every time we cook an egg, we're taking advantage of events that happened nearly 14 billion years ago. Carol says what you need the Big Bang to explain is, why were there ever unbroken eggs? Some physicists are more troubled than others by the past hypothesis, taking things we don't understand about the physics of today's universe and saying the answer can be found in the Big Bang could be seen as passing the buck or as sweeping our problems under the carpet. Marina Cortez, a cosmologist at the Royal Observatory in Edinburgh, says every time we invoke initial conditions, the pile of things under the rug gets bigger. To small in, the past hypothesis feels more like an admission of failure than a useful step forward. As he put it in his book, The Singular Universe, the fact to be explained is why the universe, even 13.8 billion years after the Big Bang, has not reached equilibrium, which is by definition the most probable state. And it hardly suffices to explain this by asserting that the universe started in an even less probable state than the present one. Other physicists, however, point out that it's normal to develop theories that can describe a system given certain initial conditions. A theory doesn't need to try to explain those conditions. Another set of physicists think that the past hypothesis, while better than nothing, is more likely to be a placeholder than a final answer. Perhaps, if we're lucky, it will point to something deeper. Carol says many people say the past hypothesis is just a fact, and there isn't any underlying way to explain it. He doesn't rule out that possibility. To him, the past hypothesis is a clue to help us develop a more comprehensive view of the universe. 
Can the arrow of time be understood without invoking the past hypothesis? Some physicists argue that gravity, not thermodynamics, guides time's direction. Tim Kozlowski, a physicist at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, says in this view, gravity causes matter to clump together, defining an era of time that aligns itself with growth of complexity. Kozlowski and his colleagues developed simple models of universes made up of 1,000 point-like particles. These models are subject only to Newton's law of gravitation. Kozlowski found there will always be a moment of maximum density and minimum complexity. As one moves away from that point in either direction, complexity increases. Humans are complex creatures capable of making observations. Naturally, we can only evolve at some distance from the minimum. Still, Kozlowski says wherever we happen to find ourselves in the history of the universe, we can point to an era of less complexity and call it the past. The models are globally time-symmetric, but every observer will experience a local arrow of time. It's significant that the low-entropy starting point isn't an add-on to the model. It actually emerges naturally from it. As Kozlowski put it, gravity essentially eliminates the need for a past hypothesis. The idea that time moves in more than one direction and that we just happen to inhabit a section of the cosmos with a single locally defined era of time isn't new. Back in 2004, Carroll and his graduate student, Jennifer Chen, made a similar proposal based on eternal inflation, a relatively well-known model of the beginning of the universe. Carroll sees Kozlowski's work as a useful step, especially since they worked out the mathematical details of their model. Still, he has some concerns. For example, he says it's not clear that gravity plays as important a role as their paper claims. He says if you just had particles in empty space, you get exactly the same qualitative behavior. Increasing complexity, Kozlowski says, has one crucial side effect. It leads to the formation of certain arrangements of matter that maintain their structure over time. These structures can store information. He calls them records. Gravity is the first and primary force that makes record formation possible. Other processes then give rise to everything from fossils and tree rings to written documents. What all these entities have in common is that they contain information about some earlier state of the universe. Kozlowski says memories stored in brains are another kind of record. Ideally, he says we'd be able to build more complex models and eventually come to the memory in our phones, brains, and history books. A more complex universe contains more records than a less complex universe, and this, he says, is why we remember the past but not the future. But perhaps time is even more fundamental than this. For George Ellis, a cosmologist at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, time is a more basic entity, an entity that can be understood by picturing the block universe as itself evolving. In his evolving block universe model, the universe is a growing volume of space-time. The surface of this volume can be thought of as the present moment, the surface represents the instant where, as he describes it, the indefiniteness of the future changes to the definiteness of the past. Space-time itself is growing as time passes. One can discern the direction of time by looking at which part of the universe is fixed and which is changing. Although some colleagues disagree, 
Ellis stresses that the model is a modification, not a radical overhaul of the standard view. This is a block universe with dynamics covered by the general relativity field equations, absolutely standard, he argues, but it has a future boundary that is the ever-changing present. In this view, while the past is fixed and unchangeable, the future is open. He says the model obviously represents the passing of time in a more satisfactory way than the usual block universe. Unlike the traditional block view, Ellis's picture appears to describe a universe with an open future. This seems to conflict with a law-governed universe in which past physical states dictate future states. Another approach that aims to reconcile the apparent passage of time with the block universe goes by the name of causal set theory. First developed in the 1980s as an approach to quantum gravity by the physicist Raphael Sorkin, the theory is based on the idea that space-time is discrete, not continuous. In this view, the universe appears continuous at the macroscopic level, but if we could look at the so-called Planck scale, we discover that the universe is made up of elementary units or atoms of space-time. The atoms form what mathematicians call a partially ordered set, an array in which each element is linked to an adjacent element in a particular sequence. The number of these atoms gives rise to the volume of space-time, while their sequence gives rise to time. According to the theory, new space-time atoms are continuously coming into existence. Faye Dowker, a physicist at Imperial College London, referred to this at the conference as accretive time. She invited everyone to think of space-time as gaining new space-time atoms, like seabed deposits new layers of sediment over time. General relativity yields only a block, but causal sets seem to allow a becoming. Dowker says the block universe is a static thing, a static picture of the world, whereas this process of becoming is dynamical. In this view, the passage of time is a fundamental feature of the cosmos, not an emergent one. In the face of these competing models, many thinkers seem to have stopped worrying and learned to love, or at least tolerate, the block universe. Janan Ismail, a philosopher at the University of Arizona, made possibly the strongest statement in favor of the block universe's compatibility with everyday experience. The way Ismail sees it, the block universe, properly understood, holds the explanation for our experience of time's apparent passage. To recover what she calls the flow, the whoosh of the experience, we need to have a careful look at the conventional physics and supplement it with what we've learned in recent decades from cognitive science and psychology. In this view, time is not an illusion. In fact, we experience it directly. She cited studies that show that each moment we experience represents a finite interval of time. In other words, we don't infer the flow of time. It's part of the experience itself. The challenge, she says, is to frame this first-person experience within the static block offered by physics, to examine how the world looks from the evolving frame of reference of an embedded perceiver, a perceiver whose history is represented by a curve within the space-time of the block universe. Ismail's presentation drew a mixed response. Carol says he agreed with everything she said. Elitsur says he wanted to scream during her talk. Many at the conference objected to the idea that block universe seems to imply 
in some important way that the future already exists, yet statements about, say, next Thursday's weather are neither true nor false. For some, this seems like an impossible problem with the block universe view. Ismail had heard these objections many times before. Future events exist, she says, they just don't exist now. The block universe is not a changing picture, it's a picture of change. Things happen when they happen. Physics could do with some philosophy, she says. There's a long history of discussion about the truth values of future contingent statements, she added, and it really has nothing to do with the experience of time. And for those who wanted to read more, she recommends Aristotle. That was a recap of Dan Falk's article, A Debate Over the Physics of Time. Up next, we'll hear how a moonshine master is toying with string theory. After a volcano erupted in Iceland in 2010, flight cancellations left Miranda Chang stranded in Paris. While waiting for the ash to clear, Chang got to thinking about a paper that had recently been posted online. Its authors pointed out a numerical coincidence connecting far-flung mathematical objects. Chang remembered wondering, could it be another moonshine? She happened to have read a book about the monstrous moonshine, a mathematical structure that unfolded out a similar bit of numerology. 100,096,884 ,000, is the first important coefficient of an object called the J function. In the late 1970s, the mathematician John McKay noticed that this number was the sum of 1 and 196,883, the first two dimensions in which a giant collection of symmetries called the monster group could be represented. By 1992, researchers had traced this far-fetched, hence moonshine, correspondence to its unlikely source, string theory. String theory is a candidate for the fundamental theory of physics that casts elementary particles as tiny oscillating strings. The J function describes the string's oscillations in a particular string theory model. The monster group captures the symmetries of the space-time fabric that these strings inhabit. By the time of the volcano's eruption, Cheng says this was ancient stuff. It was a mathematical volcano that, as far as physicists were concerned, had gone dormant. The string theory model underlying monstrous moonshine was nothing like the particles of space-time geometry of the real world. But Chang sensed that the new moonshine, if it was one, might be different. It involved K3 surfaces, the geometric objects that she and many other string theorists study as possible toy models of real space-time. By the time she flew home from Paris, Cheng found more evidence that the new moonshine existed. She and her collaborators gradually teased out evidence of not one, but 23 new moonshines. These are mathematical structures that connect symmetry groups on the one hand and fundamental objects in number theory called mock modular forms on the other. The existence of these 23 moonshines posited in their umbral moonshine conjecture in 2012 was proven last year. Here's Cheng talking about what moonshine might tell us. I use uh, mathematics to study the physical properties of various systems and uh, in the other direction I use uh, physical insights to try to think about mathematical questions. Um, 
Umbar Moonshine is a fascinating relation between finite groups on the one hand and mock module forms on the other hand. Finite groups are structures capturing the symmetry properties of various objects, self-repeating systems in uh, patterns in 24 dimensions in this case. And mock module forms, well, they're really cute functions uh, displaying very funny uh, properties um, under modular transformation. And in the meanwhile, they have uh, been found to have relations to other branches of mathematics, such as combinatorics and so on. And what I hope Umbar Moonshine can teach us, well, the most exciting prospect for me is the following. I hope it will uh, open a window for us into some fundamental aspects of string theory, which is a theory that we believe to uh, capture the, uh, the physics at the most fundamental level in our world. And in particular, I hope that there was, it will teach us something about uh, how quantum states allowed by supersymmetry can organize in themselves in a specific way. For more of Natalie Wolchover's interview with Miranda Chang, read the full article, Moonshine Master Toys with String Theory. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's podcast. I'm Karen Chakurji. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.